Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, February 21st, 2023, with two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is February 26th of 23, the first Sunday of Lent. On Tuesdays, we call in from wherever we may be uh, today at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time to participate, and for our friend Charles Willer in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. Central. Our team's working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us on the Gospel of Matthew and the first Sunday of Lent, of course, and we hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Charles Willard, Minnesota. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton. I'm calling in from Columbus, Ohio today. Everybody's welcome. Good to have you on board. And our lead for today is Bill Hall. It's going to guide us through the scripture and the questions of the day. Uh, hello, Bill. How are you, my friend? Good morning. Welcome, Don, Charles, Sarah, and those who view and listen later. Uh, a couple of comments, and then we'll get to the reading and reflecting on the gospel lesson for this coming Sunday. Um, in addition to this podcast, the pastors at Palmasia Preston Church have begun a new journey, transitioning from what was called Followers of the Way to a tentative working title, Pastor's Bible Study. And as John Devilvoice explains this week, they are not going to the commentaries. They're in counting the scripture uh, for a kind of first look uh, without prior study and hoping to, to have a more contemplative way to encounter scripture. And John refers to us so that there's, there's a, a difference because I have sent three questions in advance to my colleagues and we looked at whatever resources we choose to. And the pastor's Bible study and followers of in this podcast are available on the church's website. We commend it to you, especially since uh, they welcome John Ryder, the new member of the staff, the director of adult faith formation, um, to their team and to the staff there. Now, Today, the story we are to hear is the narrative that begins Lent in all three years of the lectionary. Uh, year A, Matthew 4, year B, Mark 1, year C, uh, Luke chapter 4. So this story is always the first uh, Sunday of Lent uh, gospel lesson. And in each of these synoptic gospels, the temptation of Jesus occurs after his baptism with Luke kind of in parentheses inserting a listing of Jesus's lineage between his baptism and the temptation in the wilderness, which we'll read in a moment. So uh, all three link the exaltation of the baptism and the struggle of the temptation. However, the lectionary separates Jesus' baptism and temptation each 
of the three years by 10 weeks of epiphany. So it was some weeks ago that we looked at the baptism. Um, in scripture, though, the two are linked. Um, and to offer us an opportunity not only to hear, but to experience something of the drama of this week's passage, my colleagues will read the story in parts. So let us prepare to hear and be touched by this reading of God's word from Matthew 4, 1 through 11 from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterward famished. The tempter came to him, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. And said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, colleagues. First question. And Charles, I've signal I'm coming to you first. What do you understand it means to be tempted? And how have you experienced this in your life? Or how do you see this at work in others? So Charles, based on your study of Scripture and your life experiences, what do you understand temptation to be and to mean? I'm thinking, and it's a very difficult question to answer because most of us, maybe even all of us, probably all of us, are tempted, have been tempted, and will continue to be tempted, and recognize that's why we're here that it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to have to, to have to address the tempter. The better the person is, the more likely you are to suffer the temptation and to take it. We like to think of ourselves as being strong, so Jesus was able to do this. He was a mere human as we are. Why can't we do that? And I think if we're honest, 
you know, just to be, to be honest, I, in, in thinking about this, I think about all the times that I have been tempted. And it's, uh, it's a long list. And it's not the case that I am consistently successful in resisting temptation. I fail. And this narrative, unfortunately, in terms of uh, being a, a life lesson, doesn't provide much support for failure, does it? I'm going to leave that question there. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. It is a difficult question uh, to answer. Uh, very thoughtful comments. Sarah? To be tempted is an invitation or an opportunity to act independently of God, of God's purposes, and away from the values and priorities of God as I understand them. A moment offered to put the self in God's place as that which I love most. The approach as I've experienced it, um, sometimes temptation takes the form of an appeal to an ego, um, an invitation to subvert the law, an action which undermines someone else for my personal gain. Sometimes it seems insignificant, like a white lie or a protective fib, and yet it ushers in the separation in a relationship, um, a shadow of doubt, or it's a silence that perpetuates a relationship breakdown. I've watched others fall prey to decision-making and actions that are destructive to relationships rather than nurturing. I have witnessed people taking actions they perceive only hurt themselves, but actually only later realize that that really impacts the ones they love the most. So that's how I've experienced it. Thank you, Sarah. Your first comment reminded me of the Genesis story, which is in, also in the lectionary this week, of Adam and Eve wanting to be as knowledgeable as God. Helpful comments. Don? Thank you. Uh, two comments. One is temptation meets humans at the scale of their lives and in their own condition. And I'm emphasizing the word meets, because if it doesn't meet me at the scale of my life, where I can understand it, I don't hear it. I don't have it. It's personal. It meets meets me. Uh, and then the second one is it takes humans into the scale of their lives. It's almost like we're invited into an internal journey. And I'm thinking about. You know, taking Jesus to the wilderness, so it takes takes me into the scale of my own life, and by saying meets and takes, I mean that it's tangible, doable. It's an idea that I can work with. It's malleable. It's and anything else is not my temptation. It's somebody else's temptation. And then to put that in the context of Jesus meets and takes is different. I, this year, you know, we're on a three-year cycle, 
it's different for me because I'm being drawn to you know, basic ideas of who Jesus is. And this is post-baptism, and you've pointed that out. And the idea of Christ, what Christ is working, you think about meeting Christ in the scale of his mission, taking Christ into the scale, into his inner life and what that means is, diff- is different. And, and I'm, I'm a layperson on this, so I can be corrected over and over again. But it seems to me the idea of Christ post-baptism and the idea of me and my temptations are very different. Um, in my belief system, the world is not hanging the balance here at all. It is a decisive rejection every time. No malleability, no contextualization, no dissembly. It's all there, rejected. And uh, that's very different than me. Uh, it does not hang in the balance. And I think if it's written as basic literature, it would hang in the balance. That would be a rip-roaring story. What will the Christ do? What will the God do? And that's not it at all. It's a much more boring story because it's finished. And we read it as a story that, that to quote Jesus on the cross, it's finished. And so it doesn't hang in the balance. There's no compromise. There's not a more excellent way that's being offered. There's not another approach. There's no compromise at all. Uh, no disguising, no dissembling, just moving forward. And so I have to put my temptations against the Christology. There's no comparison at all to be made. What I can do in terms of what meets me and what I'm led into thinking about has the content is in the face of Christ finishing the work. And uh, and if I'm going to examine what what I'm doing, uh, I I I can I have broad flexibility. I'm thankful that it's finished. And every choice, things do hang in the balance for me and the people that are around me. It's finished. Christ has finished His work, but I'm in my temptations and call to think about all the things I can do, the damage I can do. But there's none here for Christ at all. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, already finished here, at least this Christ that I see, nothing hangs in the balance in the desert. Tell so what I got, Bill. Thank you. When you use that phrase, scale of your life, of where my mind went with that, I'm not sure this is what you meant, but you can <laughs> enlighten me, was that different things tempt different people. To use an exaggerated example, I have never felt tempted to rob a bank. Okay. (laughs) Um, But as a pastor, uh, there are times I face the struggle of ego. You know, affirmation, you touch people at important points in their life, and if you're not careful, you can begin to get drawn into an exaggerated so that's where my mind went when you use that phrase, Don, that different things tempt different people in different ways, but all are tempted. And for me, based on this narrative, uh, temptation, uh, there were three that Jesus felt, uh, faced, and they can be characterized various ways, but clearly physical hungers, or in this case, a hunger for food, but other physical 
drives and urges are the source of temptation. There's the temptation to test God, to push the limits and think that somehow I will avoid the consequences. And then the the third one in this narrative I would characterize as the desire for fame. It reminds me that I have mixed reactions, particularly about the President's United States, but it's others. Almost as soon as they're elected, people say, well, what is the legacy this person's going to leave? And we do, but I think, wait a minute, you know, this person has a work to do. Let's not get drawn into uh, evaluating or determining or describing what the legacy needs to be. Um, Also, to me, temptation involves having principles, morals, values, and being tempted to violate them or to use them in a way that's distorted. Um, That, in other words, to be tempted is to be invited to violate a principle or an ethical standard so that what is good in me can be misused or violated. Uh, I can use it to manipulate or mislead. And I've referred already to the Genesis passage this week of Adam and Eve living in paradise, (laughs) but being tempted to try to be God. And we often on this podcast, and I hear it on others, caution ourselves to avoid we, they. You know, they have a problem. Charles has reminded us that all of us are tempted. So what's most important, at least to begin with, is to ask myself, what are the temptations I face? What are the ways in which I'm prone to violate the principles that I profess to live by? Thank you, team. Uh, We'll move to question two. And, Don, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. In this narrative, both Jesus and Satan quote from Scripture, specifically Deuteronomy and Psalms. They accurately quote Scripture. How do you perceive the use of Scripture by each of them And what do you discern from this that informs your use of Scripture today or how we corporately might use Scripture? So, Don, how do you see Jesus and Satan using Scripture, and how does that inform our use of Scripture today? It's troubling. More more so today in my journey life. It's very troubling today to see this. can scripture be malleable? Can it be torn apart? Can it be used in different ways? Can it be used for bad, for good? For, it can be weaponized. And you know the answer is yes, it can be. And uh, and here it is. Again, I want to emphasize the Christ. No. <laughs> it's finished. It's, he, rejects every, he rejects every use of it. And I guess the first thing 
I have to do is have confidence as is the Christ rejects all the shoes of the scripture. And of course, this one's sitting in the book of Matthew where things are getting done every day. People are being healed. People are coming to Christ. Uh, you can look and see it and touch it. Uh, you don't have to read it or have it read to you or interpret it. You see the Christ. And I think that's the hidden part of this because he's, he's alone with the devil. Uh, so I think there's a message here that it, it can be. It can, it can be shaped and it's malleable and, uh, and Christ is fixed in the truth. The truth and is described as the word and everlasting presence. So I have confidence that that's it. The other thing is uh, I think the way, I think the temptation, it's, the major temptation is the misuse of scripture, I think, in this one. Uh, to not be faithful uh, to this application. Uh, and boy, I could be pretty reckless. You know, here we are having a podcast, and I, and I feel like every day I could be quite reckless with this. I think there's a counsel here that the old saying, you know, let's work with the end in mind and work backwards, is a danger on this one. That that's that would be something that a lot of people I work with and I would be attracted to. Let's get the end in mind. Let's get the right thing in mind, and then work backwards. You know, and in this case, how can we use scripture with the end in mind? Well, what end do we have? What you know? What what judgment am I sitting in to the proper end? What is good? What is the outcome I want? What is the outcome I think people around me need? What is the outcome I think my nation needs? You know, and it's like, well, this is what we should be. Therefore, let's work backwards and use scripture to get us there. I think there's a warning here on that one, too. Uh, and I, I see that as a big temptation where this is Matthew. The ongoing work of love and service is what we're supposed to see. Uh, and I would even think if I don't have time to study the scripture, which I don't take time to do as much as I should, then I should focus on seeing Jesus and what he's doing on earth. So I, it was great frustration and concern, say, scripture in this, in the scale of my life, Bill, and I agree with you, your, your read on what I meant by scale is right. What I can see and what matters to me can be overriding of everything. And in that way, scripture can be malleable. It can be like water. It can be cut into small pieces and used out of context. It can be. It's don't like that, and that, but that's the temptation in itself. I think, Bill. So that's what I've got. Thank you. Uh, you began by saying this is very troubling in our day, and it really is. Uh, the extremes of how scriptures use Sarah. Your thoughts on the use of scripture by Satan and Jesus, and for you and us today. Well, my first observation was the tempter seems to refine the approach and the entree to the tar- with targeted precision, offering to each what might most encourage them to put themselves before God. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit seeks to intercede and disrupt the temptation by offering the tempted a choice to walk from that which is not of God. Um, you know, I think that scripture can be weaponized. I agree with you, Don. 
Um, it can be used to draw others away from God. It can also be used to draw people back to God. Um, I think the biggest temptation is that we put ourselves in God's position and feel the compulsion to pronounce Scripture to each other. And I think that's a flaw. Um, I, I am gravely concerned that, you know, in, in those situations, it's one interpretation against another. And I don't know how often the Spirit has an opportunity to interact. Um, you know, I think whenever we're asked to start the judgment, sliding down the judgment slope, we run into bigger and bigger problems. Um, and it, it it might be just an easier place to, to confess that we're at the bottom of the hill, we've fallen down, and we need help getting back up. Thank you. Um, well said. Uh, Don, you helpfully remind us of the history of Scripture and the distance between then and now. Your thoughts on the use of Scripture. Are you referring to Bill? Uh, Charles, I'm sorry. I'm passing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you. Uh, colleagues, uh, I, I think this is a crucially important issue. And I won't say I take comfort, but to remember that the use and misuse of Scripture did not start in our day and time is a slightly helpful reminder. In other words, we've been here before. In this case, Satan and Jesus' dialogue. It reminds us that Scripture can be used to support almost any cause. Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, noted that in the American Civil War, both sides read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and each invokes God's aid against the other. I'm about halfway through John Meacham's new book on Lincoln entitled There Was Light. And there's some new information in there, but it is painful to read the quotes from pastors and Christian leaders, including prominent Presbyterian pastors, who vehemently defended slavery. Uh, it, it's difficult to read that, but as I read it, I remember it gets misused today, and I can misuse scripture, not just they, I can misuse scripture. Um, in the, I've alluded several times to the lectionary Old Testament. One of the passages is from Genesis 2 and 3, and chapter 3, verse 1 says, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. 
and the craftiness of people in the use of Scripture is um, frightening at times and, and amazing. And then in the, I've noted in my beginning comments that this narrative is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's always the first Sunday of Lent. In the Luke version, chapter 4, verse 13, it ends by saying, Satan departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Thus, steeping ourselves in God's word is a daily resource for what we face each day, but scripture is not magic. And um, Don, you referred to reading scripture and opening ourselves to uh, a a daily um, seeking to understand scripture. It's not magic, but one of my favorite uh, verses about temptation is First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone God is faithful and God will not let you be tested beyond your strength but with the testing God will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it that's uh, again not magic it's a reminder that we have choices john ryder in the uh, pastor's bible study that i mentioned at the beginning uh, makes makes that point that there are we have choices and not that it's easy but the promise is that god is faithful and that if we trust god there is a way out all right. Um, question three, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell this narrative indicating this story's importance in the journey of Jesus. How do you imagine this experience prepared Jesus for what was to follow in his life and ministry on earth and how are you guided by this event in your faith journey, Sarah? It seems like Jesus has a very clear purpose and a very clear identity. Very, he has strong clarity about those things. And Jesus stands unmoved when the tempter calls into question his divine relationship with and trust in God. And this clarity stands in strong contrast to the typical human experience, at least my typical human experience. Alone, humans seem to only catch glimpses of that purpose and grasp only facets of that identity. Um, This human condition is a two-edged sword being both a profound element of vulnerability and a dynamic opportunity to build trust in God. And this freedom to choose dichotomy lays both wide open for sinful self-absorption or divine cultivation. And as humans, we are prone to wander. We see a shiny object and we tear off after it. We see something that looks like it could be fun and we tear off after it. Um, This keeps our heart questioning 
and keeps us looking for the divine. Um, and in the seeking, we tumble into God. I mean, that's the, the, the more likely scenario isn't that we discover God. It's like we fall. And in our falling, we discover God. Um, I'm regularly reminded that God's grace is, is enough to quiet my questions, to catch my imagination. And God is always ready to meet me or us at the end of the road. And he comes running. <laughs> I like that phrase, he comes running. <laughs> Reminds me, a, a, a contrasting image is the prodigal son. The, the son is approaching and the father has the open arms. You, you brought that scene to mind. Thank you, Sarah. Don, how does this, did this perhaps prepare Jesus, and how does it guide us today? Your thoughts. Uh, uh, Charles, I'm sorry, Charles. I'm wondering how we know this. Where did, where did the story come from? It's really hard for me to imagine, as, as I sit here and ask myself, you know, who, who, who would have told the story that it began to circulate among the disciples? And I don't come up with a good, a good answer. I mean, this is not something that Jesus would talk about, I don't think. So I'm, I'm just listening. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a mystery. Okay. Don. I love the question. I love your question, Bill. I also love uh, Charles's question. How do we know it? I, I'm wondering if we know it because of the base fact of temptation meeting all of us in the scale of our lives. And it, it met Jesus in the, 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 the grandeur of his life that he has recognized. This is an affirmation of the Christ, isn't it? Uh, and he is affirmed. He isn't just rejected, but he's affirmed as well. And the affirmation comes from the beautiful one. I think that's important. And I think in terms of the use of Scripture in my life, I think there's the one connection in the story between us and Christ. He rejects everything. I do not. I mean, I, I can't. I, I'm, I just, I'm so filled with flaws. As when I'm met in any desert, and I'm going to be tempted, and often I will fall to that temptation. Christ is not. But where there's a, an interesting connection is Christ is affirmed as the Word by the beautiful one. And I am affirmed, I think, when temptation comes to me, as somebody, <laughs> you are, I have choices. In my own little universe, my scale, I have power. I can make choices. I can decide what is good. I am. You use the word for the creator, I am. And, and so it comes to me, you are, you are alive. You can do things. You have power. I'm here to remind you the power you have. And I think there's an an interesting connection there with the scale of Christ's life and what comes to us. Of course, I, I fail on that 
every day over and over again. But I think that affirmation, I think, matters. Uh, and uh, for the desert story, I, I'm always interested in how that comes to us, too. But, Charles, I'm wondering if we can treat it like, see, I'm going to play around with Scripture. I'm going to, do, I'm going to play with it. Is that proper? I'd like to cut it out, or is this a sin? I'd like to cut this passage out and make it a footnote on every page of the New Testament. See desert, see Christ. Jesus on the sea, Jesus in the storm, Jesus healing, Jesus walking, Jesus eating. See footnote in the desert with the beautiful one. See footnote. It is finished. It is decisive. This is not a passage None of it, whatever page it is, the world does not hang in the balance. My little world hangs in the balance every day with the choices that I make. I'm not, I'm not a God, I'm not a Christ, I'm going to fail. But even knowing that, that I can be affirmed, I don't have to be affirmed uh, through other voices. I'm affirmed by Christ and the fact that it's over. So uh, I think it's a great footnote uh, because... I, I, my read on this is the death. He's always in the desert. Always in the, this is this story frames this particular gospel it, because I could go through uh, every four or five passages of Matthew, and I think I could go, aha, another temptation of Christ, another temptation of Christ, Christ in the garden, Christ here, Christ there. You can, it's all a temptation of Christ in this scale, and this is just a chance to hear it. But that voice that walk in that desert, he knows that. He is affirmed in exactly the power that he has. He could throw himself off the roof and be caught by angels. He could change, but he could do these things. He is affirmed, and he's affirmed every step he takes every day with those voices, except he does not choose to go in that direction at all because it is finished. So for me, I, I think it's a footnote. You read it, you, you, we're going to read Matthew next week, I think. Let's, let's note this again. This is, this is, this is the Christ. This is how we understand who the Christ is in every step. So that's that's what I got, Bill. Thank you, uh, Charles. You you ask a good question, and I of course cannot give an answer for certain, but I'll share with you where my mind went with this. The term self-defining, as far as I know, is of somewhat modern creation. We speak of something being a self-defining event. I think it was that for Jesus. Uh, On a personal level, uh, there was a point in my life when my desire to please people collided with what I clearly felt was the best direction for me to go. And this wasn't a moral, immoral conflict. And I won't go into detail but I faced intense pressure to stay with something that I felt like I needed to step away from. And last night I was with some folk. We drove to a fast event, uh, a local um, justice ministry, and one of the persons writing with me began to ask me some questions and I told that story and his reflection was that that though it was painful 
really helped me discover um, a strength in myself that I didn't know was there. Now, I don't go around telling that story to many people, and I don't mean to tell it as if somehow I'm a hero. My point is, I, be- I can well believe that Jesus understood the powerful importance of this event in his life. And I can believe that he shared it with his disciples because he had a very intimate relationship with them. And he, uh, in one sense, his mission was to reveal himself, to demonstrate uh, who he was. So uh, at least I can believe and be comfortable that Jesus, because only Jesus could have uh, told it. And it is in all three Gospels. Um, later in this chapter, in verse 17, Jesus calls people to repent. And he had faced into the depth and darkness of temptation. He called others into the same journey with the confidence that repenting, changing one's direction was indeed possible, though difficult. So at least for people to read this, Jesus had authenticity when he called others to resist temptation and to repent. Uh, again, to refer to the pastor's Bible study this week, John Ryder, the new director of adult faith formation at the church, helpfully noted that temptation is unique for each of us and that each of us is not only the temptations, he said, each of us has a different wilderness, a different lonely place. Um, in my experience as a person and as a pastor, loneliness is an experience that can be most tempting to violate one's principles and ethics. Um, and this narrative, and I'll finish with this, and hand it back to you, Don. It reminds me of a great hymn of the church based on Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the hymn we know, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 before. Great is thy faithfulness. This is a testimony, this narrative, to the faithfulness of God. Don? Thank you, Bill. And uh, to wrap up, you just uh, raised a question. I just want to interest to see if you'd agree with this. You, you were uh, quoting a, a podcast of another day about each of us having our wilderness. Was that true in terms of our isolation and our condition? Uh, but uh, I'm wondering if this passage encourages us also to recognize that each of us has our own power. Each of us has our own idea factory, our own solution. And in our isolation, we are, we are encouraged affirmed in our own 
power, not, not necessarily for good or for others, but that we are encouraged to have our own ideas and our own solutions. And I, I, I'm going to pick on the saying in the bracelets, what would Jesus do? But I can actually go, well, I know what Jesus would do. And I choose to choose these things as well. So I'm just curious, Bill, would you agree that, you know, we have our own wilderness, but I think we also have our own, our own superpowers. And we're encouraged to use that. Oh, I, I would definitely agree. And the story I, I alluded to in my own life, I discovered a strength in myself that I did not know was there. Uh, and again, it's not about my being a hero. It's about the faithfulness of God to give us the strength. Because um, this was a decision I had come to after agony and prayer and counsel. Uh, so, yes, I think along with that, that's the quote from First Corinthians. In the depth of our weakness, paradoxically, graciously, we can dis- discover a strength. I believe it comes from God, but it's within us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for the, the, the dark side of this, I'm say, I was just thinking, you know, in, the, in our isolation and our concern, we... We, we're, we're affirmed in our own ability to get out of it ourselves, and that's where things go wrong, uh, that the, the affirmation is in the Christ in the desert. Uh, boy, my, I tell you, my, my eyes are open each week. We're together. I, I thank you for those questions. And for those listening in, we do the questions each week because many of you moderate or facilitate discussion groups and are looking for ways to open up a dialogue, and we do these for ourselves, but also for you, so uh, try them out. I also want to say that in our journeys each week, uh, virtual and uh, traveling, uh, we thank you for your comments. Uh, this, is, this is happening a lot. Uh, new friends uh, that I've never met before letting me know they're listening, and uh, it's not just for an affirmation. It's we, we welcome your ideas and your criticisms as well, so thank you for that. On the Sea of Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-E-E-I dot org. We commend that site to you for prayers, sermons, Sunday school classes, meditation, outstanding music, the opportunity to take communion. So check that out, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.